Thanks, Taylor. Well, we have been, um, we've taken a lot of time in the last two months to uh, focus on how God is shaping our lives and uh, what that looks like to us. And uh, we attacked the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave um, with great vigor. And today we're going to downshift a little bit and kind of change our focus. And uh, as we head into the summertime, hopefully we um, take this time and explore some parables. And, and this is part of what shapes our faith. It's called practical teaching, right? There's different catalysts that help grow our faith that kind of um, give us a nudge when we need it or, um, you know, just a little something. And the, we, we've kind of talked about them in the past. There's, there's five different things. Uh, one is pivotal circumstances. Those will jumpstart your faith, right? Maybe something, uh, there's a death in the family or uh, maybe there's a birth in the family. All of those are pivotal, right? You were one way one day and then you're a different way the next, um, there's personal ministry. There's things that we do in our lives to help, hello, uh, that help us to um, engage in others and invest in other people's lives. That leads to providential relationships. Another, uh, another way that we can uh, build into each other's lives, and if you think about it, um, somebody who's impacted your life. Maybe it's a youth pastor when you were young, a children's pastor, maybe a coworker, And you say, well, uh, I can remember this guy, when he came into my life, he just lived a different way and really built into my life. That's a providential relationship that God has sent along to help us in, in our faith. And then there's uh, private disciplines. Those obviously will, will help us in growing our faith, the way that we pray the way that we study scripture, uh, our time in fasting when we decide to surrender ourselves and let God do some work in our lives. And then there's this, practical teaching. And that was Jesus' ministry to a T, right? If you've been around church at all for very long, you know that when Jesus spent his time here on earth, it was, um, it was very practical. He spoke to people in ways that they would understand. And that's kind of what we're going to focus this week and for the next five weeks, uh, actually, we're going to pick a different parable every week, and we're going to just unpack it and see what God has to say to us each time. Uh, and you guys are in for a treat. In two weeks, uh, Josh Stutler will be here. Um, every, uh, every year, we have district-licensed district ministers. We have four in our church, uh, and I ask them to preach. And we've heard Jennifer here in the last few weeks, Geraldo preached as well a few weeks ago. And then in two weeks, Josh will be here to um, preach to us and see what God has laid on his heart. So maybe send him a text and encourage him, because um, I think he's nervous. I don't, I don't know, but I think he is. Because you guys are intimidating. I'll just tell you that right now, um, because you're not doing jumping jacks in the back and cheering on like a football game. You're just kind of looking at us uh, when we're up here, and that's fine. That's kind of what we're doing. But uh, So pray for Josh as he prepares as well, and then in July, Dylan will get to preach um, as well. Yeah, everybody's jacked up about that. So uh, we're going to pick a different parable, and I think you've seen what we're going to talk about today. But just a couple of things before, um, you know, Jesus, when he was doing ministry here on earth, it took about three years before he uh, died, 
and then rose again and took another 40-so days, and then he went to heaven and left us all here to figure out how the church should go and where the gospel should go and how we take it. And he, he did a great job of building in to other people's lives. And, uh, you know, people didn't have a Bible. They didn't have Scripture just kind of laying around. I have two of them up here today. And they didn't have any. They had to go to the temple. We didn't have it in our phone, on, in our pocket, uh, sitting on our coffee table, uh, whatever. There's just, uh, the Scriptures weren't available. And so they would go to the temple or the synagogue and hear the Scriptures read and interpreted by the, the people that were leading, the Pharisees, the, the uh, high priests. They would read problem was, those religious leaders, they, they made sure that the message was very vague, it seemed. And it was more structured around rules. And this is what you cannot do. This is what you cannot do. Here's what you should do in order to be right with God. Well, when Jesus came and people had an encounter with him and they would hear his teaching, it would just blow their mind. It was all brand new to them. And uh, it would just expand their hearts in a way because they heard the message for the first time and it was real to them. And throughout his ministry on earth, Jesus would share these stories that, uh, were, that just explained what a godly life looked like. What it looks like, the kingdom, of, and a lot of times it would start with, the kingdom of heaven is like. Or the kingdom of God looks like this. And then he would launch into whatever topic he was going to share. And he would begin to uncover these truths so people could understand on their level. Didn't mean they were dumb, right? Didn't mean they didn't have a clue. Just meant that they weren't aware. And they had never heard the gospel, the scriptures, unpacked like they did when Jesus taught it. And they, they did. They, they figured it out. They would start to follow Jesus everywhere because his teaching was so great. And he communicated in terms that they could all understand. And so people believed. He, he would take out all the religious ease, all the big words that, that nobody really knew what they meant. And he would just put it on their level. And so these stories are known as parables, right? A parable is a, a pretty simple um, thing. And the dictionary says a parable is just a simple story with, it, that's used to illustrate a spiritual lesson. And this is not, uh, parables are not um, just in, in uh, Christianity. There's parables about everything, right? And, but a parable by definition is a simple story that was used to illustrate a spiritual lesson. When I was a kid, I heard it like this. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Anybody get that one when you were little? Yeah, it's just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The writers of the gospel uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the four accounts of Jesus' life here on earth, they share 39 or so of the parables that Jesus shared with people as he preached around and he interacted with them in the cities and the hillsides and wherever he went. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they record most of the parables. Okay? Uh, John, he, his theme and his ideas were a little different. He has a few parables in there. Um, and, and some are repeated across multiple books of, of the Bible. Um, and, and some are exclusive. Some of them are Matthew and Luke. Matthew and Luke have most of them. Um, Matthew was there, right? Matthew was there with Jesus for the whole time. Uh, Luke was not. Luke was there, and he interviewed all kinds of people and investigated what 
went on when Jesus uh, was doing ministry. Mark, he was not necessarily there all the time either. Mark is told through the eyes of Peter. Peter kind of shared all the story, and Mark wrote it all down. And then John, who doesn't have very many, he was there the whole time too. Um, But this, some are just repeated, but this is kind of what I would envision most of the Gospels looking like. Okay, this is a funny, just a little picture of, they didn't just sit down and write things together and copy each other. Okay, these were all written years apart from each other. Matthew would have written his, and Luke would have written his longer after that. John didn't write his accounts until about 60 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. And so this is kind of, if you've ever been caught for plagiarism, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would be plagiarist, right? But it just is another uh, affirmation that God's word was inspired, is what inspired those men to write what they wrote. And uh, they felt like uh, it was important, and they wrote down uh, everything. And a parable is like this hidden picture. It's a hidden picture in plain sight for all of us to see and understand. And uh, it's like using an item for something it's not intended for. And if you follow on Facebook, I always put out, I try and put out a sermon prep question. And that's what the question was. What items do you use uh, that are not intended for that use, okay? I've got some good answers, uh, like a brick for a doorstop. Makes sense, right? Not what a brick's purpose is, but it does the job. Um, Tools, uh, just tools in your toolbox um, seem like they're never used for their intended purpose. For example, a screwdriver. Screwdrivers are just this multifaceted tool. It would appear because we got, they use it as a hammer, uh, use the, the hard end of it to use it. Uh, somebody uses a blinker lever, you know, you can plug that in as a gear shift for your car. Um, and so screwdrivers are valuable more than just uh, um, getting screws in and out of the wall, right? But if you don't have a, 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 a screwdriver, here are some of the options for replacements. A nickel, right? You can unscrew or any kind of a coin you can use as a screwdriver. A butter knife, Okay, make sure if you're doing that in a socket, uh, like unscrewing this, you put it in the right hole, okay? And um, maybe even a nail file, something like that. Um, Vice grips, I remember using vice grips as a window crank, all right? And if you're under the age of 30, you probably don't know what a window crank is. Uh, But you used to have to roll down your windows manually. Um, That's a thing, all right? So um, we would use vice grips to hold on. We had a 49 Chevy truck that we used to haul hay. And we'd have to use the vice grips because there was no inside to the door, just the knob where the crank was. And we would get that window up or down. So parables are just something that God, Jesus would use to show others, you know, this is what you use it for. This is how I'm using it. And there's five different kind of parts that, that show up in, um, in a parable. And we'll just kind of jump on those. They're practical. They're just practical things that everyday use that Jesus would, would instill, and he'd just pick up an object. And uh, when I was a kid's pastor, we used to do this thing called a sermon in a sack. And a kid, uh, it was always during um, children's uh, all-family worship, so the whole church was there. And somebody would put an object in a sack, and I'd pull it out, and I'd have to teach an object lesson not knowing what was in there. Um, I hated that, by the way. Because that was not easy. Because you never know. What's a kid going to put in there? I got Legos one time. I got a dinosaur uh, figure one time. It was all over the map. Um, I got a game of skip bow one time. 
Um, so there's, uh, you think about it, we'll put you on the spot, and maybe we'll just practice how we preach, and I'll let you open up, and you can give an object lesson. Maybe our own kind of parables. We could, we'll do that at the end of this series. So get ready. All right, so there's practical parts in parables. It's appealing. It's appealing to the audience because, listen, if, if, you're, if you're engaged, if you want to be, it's something that, you know, Jesus would be telling a story, and it would pique their interest. They'd be like leaning in and, and listening to every word that he was saying. So they're appealing. They make a point, okay? The third thing is they make a point. There's a moral to it, if you will. Um, so Jesus would always get to that towards the end, it seems like. They were relevant to the day. You know, he, he told all kinds of stories about losing a sheep. Well, that was relevant because there would have been shepherds there. They would, people had livestock. He told parables about soil, different kinds of soil. And uh, that would be relevant because there's farmers in the crowd and on and on. Those things um, would all show up. And then God makes an appearance. God shows up in each of these and kind of pulls it all together. There's a God-like figure or a God-like theme in all of these parables. And the idea was to just take something in plain sight and just apply godly truth to it. The kingdom of heaven is like. This is how it unfolds. And so as we unpack each parable every week, and we've already heard the first one, we want to know who's involved, right? So who's involved in this one? Well, we had a Pharisee, right? And we had a tax collector, and that's about it. Those are the main characters of this parable. Um, what's the focus of the story? Well, they went to the temple to pray, and their heart was different. Uh, they were, it was in different places, and so your heart when you pray is kind of the focus when uh, in this parable. And then what happens in the end, right? Uh, the tax collector is justified for his humility and his ability to understand that he needs the mercy and forgiveness of God. And so the parable of the two men praying, um, how many of you have read this before? You, you're familiar with it, okay? Um, we did the, we did an in plain sight um, series about, well, it was February of 2020, uh, and hopefully what happens at the end of this doesn't happen again because uh, in March of 2020, everything shut down and life changed as we know it. Um, but we, we had different parables then. We're going to use all different parables this time. And I want to read this from the message. The message is just a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson, kind of a, um, a way to tell the story in, in common today language. And it sounds great, and I think that it would be best um, just kind of close your eyes and listen along as we hear how it sounded in Eugene Peterson's ears. He told this next story to some who were complacently pleased with, with themselves over their moral performance and looked down their noses at the common people. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax man. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this. Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like... I don't know if he did the voices or not, but I used to be a kid's pastor, so I did the voices. Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers and crooks and adulterers, and heaven forbid, this tax guy over here. I fast twice a week, and I tithe on all my income. Amen. Meanwhile, the tax man slumped in the shadows, 
his face in his hands, not daring to look up, and he said, God, give mercy. Forgive me, a sinner. Jesus commented, the tax man, not the other, went home made right with God. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're getting to the end, uh, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to simply, to be simply yourself, you'll become more than yourself. That's our parable. So we have, we have two people, right? The Pharisee. The Pharisee did not go to the temple that day to pray to God, did he? The, the Pharisee, he went to the temple to announce to everyone that, that was within earshot how good he was. He wanted everybody to know his spiritual resume. He's dripping with self-righteousness as he enters the temple. <clears throat> and, he, and as we've said before, people who are self-righteous are rarely self-aware. They don't really know that they're like that, right? Um, and just because they don't notice that they're living that way doesn't mean that they are. And as a side note, the opposite is true too. When they, they're really able to see other people who are self-righteous. It's kind of that takes one, no one type of thing. And so uh, the Pharisee, this, this kind of heart is dangerous, if, as we approach the throne every day in our prayer life, and as we just approach our relationship with Jesus, because it leads to pride. It's all about who we are in ourselves. It's all about us and what we can accomplish, and what happens because of that. What's the fallout? Well, if you start pointing people out in your prayers about how bad they are, they're going to despise you, right? They're not going to like it at all. And it prevents others from learning all they can learn through your relationship with Jesus um, if we act in that way. And then we have the tax collector, completely different um, heart set, right? The tax collector goes to the temple recognizing his sin. He knows that he needs something when he goes there, right? And he understood the weight, the guilt that a sinner feels when repentance is what's necessary. And, um, you know, the type of prayer that he would offer, it was simple. It was seven words, according to Eugene Peterson, right? Because all we need is God's mercy. He just said, God, give mercy. Forgive me, a sinner. It's like he's writing a postcard to God. Dear God, give me mercy. Forgive me, love a sinner. That's all it took. And we all recognize God's part in, in, uh, in being able to make him justified. And when we do that, we get to see God in other parts of our lives. The achievements that we have, well, it's because of him. The things that we uh, excel at, it's because of him. And that begins a new, um, a new way of sharing the gospel with other people. And so Jesus is in this storytelling mode with everybody. He's settled in. He's teaching his disciples um, uh, about the, the kingdom of heaven and what it looks like. And we got to remember, Jesus had more than 12 disciples, right? Uh, 12 went with him pretty much everywhere he went. And he invited 12 specifically. But Jesus had hundreds of followers. And people would just kind of go with him for a while take a day, a week, or whatever, and then they would follow, kind of go back home, and, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, 
then, then other people would join in, and they would be engaged with what Jesus was teaching them. Woo! Jesus had all these followers, and when and you think about it, the dynamic is perfect. Jesus has these people that are following him and listening to what the kingdom of heaven looks like, and then they would go home. And then what would they do? They'd tell everybody about what they heard, and they'd live their life different because of what Jesus taught them. And other people would be impacted. And those people might go find Jesus and be impacted by him personally. And so it was the beginning of the missionary right there, of being a missionary. God, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And so he would constantly have these followers coming and going and following him. And here in Luke's gospel, he gives them a couple of real-world situations. And they all would have known what he was talking about. They all would have witnessed a Pharisee. They would have, they would have known because they carried themselves like they were better than everyone else. And in verse 9, he kind of tells us, hey, this is who we're talking to, all right? This is who, uh, so he told his next story to those who are complacently pleased, right, or confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. <coughs> people that thought, um, he's telling this to the people in the crowd, listen, I know your heart, and I know you think that you're better than them or they, or these people. It was just going around. He knew their hearts. And in this context, um, he names who he's talking about. All right, here you go. People are looking down on each other. In our context, who's he talking to? He's talking to Christians. He's talking to you and me right here. Christians that think they have everything figured out. Christians that appear to be relying way more on themselves than on Jesus. Christians that have declared that they are above other people. And from there, he kind of launches into this hypothetical story, this spiritual lesson. And the two men, the Pharisee, the tax collector, both were people that no one thought very highly of, right? And both had their own downfalls, their own flaws, just like we all do. And the Pharisee prays out loud, long, and he drags a bunch of other people through the mud, um, telling them about how bad they are and how good he is. And he wanted everyone just to be amazed uh, that, he, that, God, uh, that God was with him and just how proud God should be that he was following him. And in, the, in this case, the people did know already, that, and they, in case they didn't see him living his life out, they also got his spiritual resume. Here's what I do, God. I fast a couple times a week. I may even do it three times just because I'm that holy, right? And then I tithe for sure. I give everything. I do it on all of it, all right? Just the property I own, everything. And he wanted to make sure that God knew just how holy he was. And then there's the tax collector, the social pariah. Everyone hated him, right? No one likes the IRS, right? That's what he was. And uh, his attitude was one of reverence. He comes to the temple, and he won't even approach the place where they pray because he, he was humbled to be in the presence of God. And he limited himself from going up there like um, he thought that God would strike him down. Because uh, that's happened before. They've seen those sort of things happen when 
they approach the throne without the right kind of heart. And he just gives this simple prayer, God, have mercy. Forgive me, a sinner. And oftentimes, as Jesus followers, we can get in this, we can get in this there's two different kinds of modes that we can get into, philosophies. We can get into Pharisee mode as Jesus followers, we where we feel pretty good about ourselves, right? We, uh, or we feel superior spiritually above someone else. Or, you know, the people we go to work with, or our neighbors, and you kind of judge them. Well, you don't kind of. You judge them a lot, and you're like, oh, I'm way better than them. I'm doing well. And our, and our prayers, they become shallow, and they become self-centered. And we give this account to God about how good we are and all the good things we're doing for him. And, and God knows that we're doing good things for him. He, that's why he keeps blessing us. He wants us to continue to do that. But he wants us to recognize the why. The why is because he's empowering us to do that. And we might even sneak in a, a put down here or there or a backhanded comment, um, you know, to point out the flaws of those people, you know, whoever they are. And God, he's not amused by Pharisee mode. He needs us to recognize how reliant we are on him. And he wants us to deflect our personal gain in, in, in our prayers and our worship and glorify him. Because the gospel is not about us. The gospel is for us, but it is not about us. It's not, it's not to, for us to gain by it. And so God's not amused by this Pharisee mode. He, he requires this humble, seeking heart. And if we seek, what happens? We find, right? But I'm not sure how much finding you can do when you're in Pharisee mode. And we're looking to be more like the tax collector, this tax collector mode. And Jesus makes him the hero of the story. And whoever thought that we would say, uh, be more like the tax collector in this story, okay? Because he worked, Jesus would work these things in. He made the Samaritan in the parable of the Good Samaritan the hero. He does it here with a tax collector, the least of these. People that were despised, he would make them the hero or the pivotal point in his stories. And when we approach the throne of God, we need to have the same reverence and humility and recognize how broken we are. And our prayer should be a billboard of God's greatness in our lives from beginning to end. And our prayer should include way less eyes and way more you are's. We should have way less, I did this, God, and I need this from you, God. And there should be a whole lot more of, you are mighty. You are gracious. And our prayers should be filled with thanksgiving. And then maybe we get to the things, the requests that we have. The, the tax collector was so overwhelmed by his sin that he didn't even want to get close to where God was. Uh, he feared the consequences, and he was aware of his sin. And a lot of times, we don't live in fear of the consequence of our sin. A lot of times, we don't um, live a life with a relationship knowing that people, other people need to recognize the consequences of their sin. Because the wages of sin is death. And we're not just talking dying, it's eternal death. And 
all have sinned. So we are all separated from God, and we need to recognize the consequence of our sin. And that's hard. We don't like to face those things a lot of times. And so he, he simply was seeking God's mercy. And what was he talking about in mercy? Right? This is a legal term. Okay? We have justice, we have grace, we have mercy. Right? Justice is you know, getting what you do deserve. Right? That's what justice is. That you, you're speeding, you get pulled over, what do you deserve? You get a ticket. That's justice. You pay the fine, and then you go speed some more. That's the way it works. Uh, maybe a little less for a while. Okay? But justice is getting what you do deserve. And let's be honest, what do we deserve? We deserve death, right? We deserve hell because our sin separates us from God. And then there's grace. Grace, you know, grace is getting what you do not deserve, right? And God's grace is what makes it, uh, us uh, able to go and be with him and have, because he took the sacrifice that Jesus made for us and he counted that to as an atonement for our sin. That's grace. We get what we do not deserve. You get a ticket, you get pulled over, and you don't, or you get pulled over for speeding, you don't get a ticket. That's grace, right? You, you, get, um, you get a nice little pat on the back and say, let's be careful next time, right? And then there's mercy. Mercy's not getting what you do deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And that's what the tax collector was asking. God, give me your mercy, right? I know um, that uh, I, I'm wrong. I've sinned against you. Don't give me what I deserve, God, and offer me grace and offer grace instead. And our prayer should be filled seeking God's mercy in our lives, that we ask God constantly not to give us what we do deserve. So what does this all mean? What does it have to do with us? I'm all out. Why this parable? Why this topic? You know, well, um, maybe Pastor Paul just kind of did one of these and, and guessed. But uh, anytime we read scripture, we want to ask a few questions, right? How does this apply to my life? And this is practical teaching. The, the gospels are filled with these kind of things. And so we need to ask, how does this apply to my life? What is God wanting to say to me through this passage? And then, and this is the most important, how do I live it out? How do I change my life? Where's that next step of faith? And so in the church today, we can witness a lot of people in Pharisee mode, can't we? We, we have those kind of things go on. And maybe not necessarily, oh, God bless you. Thank you very much. Very kind. Um, we, we can see this in the, you know, Christians across the globe can get a bad rap, can't they? Because of a few people. But when they get into Pharisee mode, it's easy to pile on. And we start thinking about, oh, I'm so much better than those people. And what, uh, uh, we start to look down our nose at others. And, and the way they behave, right? Well, Christians wouldn't do that, right? And the way they believe and the different things that they get involved in. And it's not just secluded to people that are not Jesus followers. It's not just Christians 
uh, versus non-Christians. People in the church can just get at each other. It's God's people disagreeing and, and not settling the way and, and having grace, right? And, and, and those, so they're Christians that judge other Christians for the way that they parent or the way that they allow, you know, the lifestyle that they leave. And Jesus followers that go after other Jesus followers because of the way they just live out their faith. No, you're doing it wrong. You're not telling the gospel right. We can get in that, in that mode. And Christians can be our own worst enemies sometimes. We can be at odds with each other. And it's this concept of extending grace is not only reserved for us, like the people in this little Jesus club that we formed. That's not the idea, right? Because, again, when you came in the door, we didn't pass a test. We didn't have to pass a test to see how good we were to get in the door, right? No, because I would have failed. I, I couldn't get in the door because I'm a sinner that's saved by grace, and I recognize that. And what I want for everyone else is to be able to feel and say, do the same thing. But we can get in this mode of self-righteousness and think we're better than others. And Christians as a whole, we can do that. And I get ready. Buckle up, people, because it's going to get worse before it gets better. The, the things that are coming down, um, the news this week about Roe v. Wade. And, now, my prayer is just that as Christians... We act like Jesus followers and love more than we care about our own opinions. And that's going to be way hard, isn't it? Because we have those opinions. But it's not about us. The gospel is for us. It's not about us. And that's what we have to stay focused on. And we get in this... And then this self-righteous attitude, and it ruins our godly influence on people. If we act that way, the people at your work, they, they're not going to care, right? And you think about it, why would a non-believer who witnesses that kind of behavior, and they can, do that, they can get that anywhere. So why would they spend one second of their life um, trying to be a part of this, this way that Jesus wants us to live when we can't do it and they don't see it modeled for them? And I don't blame them. If they see that in other people's lives, I, I don't blame them. So we need to put ourselves in tax collector mode, in this attitude of humility, a humble heart that seeks God's mercy, that we seek out others and we love them through their issues. And we leave our opinions behind. Because you have them, have them in your heart, don't let them come out of your mouth, Right? We have to live like the grace of God is for everyone, right? Like the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross was for all, for all. For God so loved the world. Didn't just say, for God so loved Christians, so let's keep it buttoned up right in here, right? God so loved the world. That, that sacrifice was for all. So, as we pray this week, and as we interact with people this week, let's make sure that we're in the right mode. Can we do that? And let's put aside our opinions. And, I mean, if you want to write them down, journal those opinions. Get it off your heart. That's fine. But then let's start looking at life through, you have to remember sometimes what a graceless life looks like. And if you've been a Christian for a while, even a year, two years, 
40 years. You have to remember what a graceless life looks like. And we need to be able to extend that grace to others and put aside our opinions. Love the person the same way Jesus would have loved them. Because they belong in the kingdom of heaven just like you do and just like I do. And let's be sure that our heart's in the right place, that our hearts uh, are open to what God wants to do in our lives, that, we are, that we're praying this seven-word prayer, God, give mercy. Give me what I don't, do not give me what I deserve. Please, forgive me. I'm a sinner. That should be our prayer this week. And this is a practice that takes repetition. <laughs> we have to continually pray that. Because short of divine intervention, it's hard to just flip that switch and be a different person right now, right there. Because it just kind of crops up in our life. Things, they, they swell and they swell. And then they pop, right? And it's always in the wrong time at the right, wrong place. And so that's where we need to continually be praying for God's mercy and to forgive us. And so we're going to be talking, taking this time daily. It's the 222 prayer, right? About opening doors and, and seeking and finding, right? And then let's come back next week and jump into another parable about Jesus and his practical teaching. Let me pray for you. Father God, we love you today, and we just pray that the things that we do in our day-to-day -day life will glorify you that we won't look down on other people. And whether we know it or not, God, we just want to uh, be a pure example of Jesus on this earth. And so when we have conversations, God, I just pray that you'll be at the center of them. When we have a reaction to news that we hear, we just pray that you'll be in the center of that. That when we witness things that go on, in our neighborhood, in, a, in our community, even across the world. Father, that our prayers will be centered around, God, give mercy. Forgive me. I'm a sinner. And that we understand that the gospel is for us. But Lord, it's about you. And that we do our best to recognize the consequences of our sins. And that that's what we worry about, not about everybody else's issues. And Lord, as we go this week, we just pray that you'll bring these things to light, that you'll show us what you want to do in our hearts, and that you will make us new. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Have a great day. Thank you for being here. Happy Mother's Day. And we will see you next time. Whenever that is, Wednesday night, next Sunday, love to have you. Have a great day. God bless.